just recalling that verse in John 17 where Jesus says, <coughs> says this is eternal life, that they may know you, <coughs> the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And that just struck me as we were just worshipping there, that Jesus' whole desire <coughs> is to bring us to a greater knowledge of God, a greater knowledge of his love and his grace and his majesty and just who he is. Jesus says, this is eternal life, that you may know him and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And that's what I believe God wants to do in these days, is to draw us closer into a closer intimacy and a closer knowledge, a greater knowledge and understanding of his heart. Back in 1989, at uh, the Grapevine Celebration, which is now called the One Event, of course, but in those days it was called Grapevine Celebration, I remember Terry Virgo, who heads up, um, I think he still does, if he doesn't, he did certainly that time, heads up the New Frontiers group of churches. He brought a, a message on the grace of God. In fact, it was a basically a follow-on of a message he preached at his own church, and he was stand to preach, and uh, he, he just couldn't get anywhere with what God wanted him to say. And, and he said, in fact, I took my Bible and I flicked through, and he says, God, is there nothing, is there nothing in here that I can actually preach about? And uh, God led him to the truth of his grace in, terms, in times of need, in times of, uh, yeah, in terms of need, the grace of God extending. And, and basically... He spoke about the fact that the grace of God was um, towards us in Christ and that salvation was not of our own works or our own striving or our own energies, but it was everything of God, everything of grace was towards us. What we needed in order to come into the presence of God, God had provided in Christ. And uh, it was such a powerful message. I know at the end of it we sang that song, um, he, took, he did three sessions on, on the grace of God and at the end of every session we sang that, that song I am a new creation no more in condemnation here in the grace of God I stand and it was the whole place just took off you know in worship with a fresh understanding of the grace and the mercy of God and he likened it to a, a watercolour painting um, I'm not a, a watercolour painter although I love watercolours and, uh, but I, I'm not very good at producing them and I know what I want to produce and I can never manage it so I've given up and left it to others but he said it with a watercolour painting he says you have to start with a wash coat on the paper and you, you put the wash coat on a sort of a background coat which you let dry and you, before you put any other details on the painting you let that wash coat dry and become a foundation for everything else and he says the grace of God is, is something like that he says you have to let it dry because it's a foundation which will be there and it'll be a foundation for everything else in our Christian lives it's all based on the grace of God and although that's what 32 years ago I've never forgotten that illustration and that message because it had a foundational and fundamental effect really on my life and the life of so many back in those days that God's grace is so amazing. <clears throat> but I, as I came to prepare this, I, I felt that there were a couple of other things I wanted to mention, which I believe are also part of that wash coat, as it were, 
uh, on the painting. And one is the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. A sovereign is one who has ultimate and supreme authority, supreme power. He's answerable to no one but himself. And it's a title that's given often to kings and queens. And Daryl, in that scripture that you brought last week, uh, in, in the Acts scripture where Paul and Silas, I think it is, have just come out of prison and, and the people together pray, don't they? And they start off that prayer, as Daryl was mentioning, they say, Sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. And that title of God, that, that addressing of God, is just sums up the whole of who he is, the greatness of his majesty and his person. Sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. You can't get somebody greater than that. And that title, Sovereign Lord, is actually used over 300 times in Scripture. Sovereign Lord, Sovereign Lord. We acknowledge who he is as Sovereign Lord. <clears throat> as I mentioned in the first service, the, on, on Countryfile, there's, there's the, one of the presenters is a, a, chap, a guy in a, in a wheelchair. And uh, they were doing something a couple of weeks ago. I, I only just clipped, sort of got a brief clip of it uh, to do with the stars and the, and the solar system. And uh, he sat there in his wheelchair and he looked up and he said, it's impossible to grasp, isn't it, the, the magnitude of the night sky. And he didn't mention God as creator or anything, but I thought to myself, if only you knew God who created those things. What a difference it makes when we know who God is, all that he's done, his majestic power and mighty sovereignty. <clears throat> but if we only saw him in that way, would we not feel daunted and almost fearful of coming into his presence if we only saw him as that great, great almighty, powerful, sovereign God? But David in Psalm 103 verse 8 tells us, he says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. It's a beautiful description, isn't it, of the, not the other side of God, because God is one in fullness of his, per, of his person, but it, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And David's not actually using his own words there. He's actually quoting from God, who actually spoke those words to Moses. He says, the Lord, the Lord, the gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. God himself actually adds that, adds that word, faithfulness. And it's quoted in one other. But eight times that description of God comes in scripture. God, the gracious God, compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Abounding in love. That's how God describes himself. So as we come to him, we come to the one who has all authority and power, yet is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love and faithfulness. We sing, don't we, you are perfect in all of your ways. And that's just a wonderful truth. God is perfect in all of his ways. Perfect means without defect. It also means complete. God is complete and perfect in all of his ways, and yet sometimes maybe we're reluctant to come into the presence of God because we feel maybe we've failed him, we've, we've um, given into temptation maybe, or whatever. But God still wants us to come. He wants us to come. Tozer reminds us that 
He is perfect in every attribute. His love is always towards us. It is never diminished. Maybe we think that if we've displeased God or failed him in some way, that somehow he's displeased and his love is somehow diminished towards us. But no, God is perfect in his attributes and he is unchanging. Tozer, Tozer by the way, if you've not heard of Tozer, he, was, he, lived, he died in the 60s, I think, but uh, 1960s, that is. Great Bible teacher. Um, he said of God being an unchanging God. He said if somebody changes, they always change for either the better or for the worse. If they change to a different position, it means that it's a better position than he was before. But God is unchanging because he's perfect in every attribute. Therefore, he never changes. He's always the same. <clears throat> Furthermore, he knows us through and through. Psalm 139, verses 1 to 4 says these words, you have searched me, O Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. What a, what a, what a knowledge that is. God, we know, is omniscient, but his knowledge of us as individuals, personal personal um, knowledge of each of us is just nothing short of amazing. And in one sense, that could be quite scary because, you know, God sees. He hears every word. He sees every deed. He knows every thought. And he looks, watches every action of our day. Every day I begin my day with saying that prayer. It's part of my quiet time. That prayer that David um, prayed, didn't he? He said, may the, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing unto you, my rock and my redeemer. Even those two words, rock and redeemer, are just beautiful words, aren't they? Rock on which we stand, that place of security, that place, that foundation of strength, and my redeemer who redeems my life and brings me back to God. What a saviour we have. But that's sort of scary in the sense that he sees everything. And yet it's also comforting. It's also comforting. <clears throat> it's comforting because I know that God knows everything about me. I don't need to hide anything. I don't need even to pretend because God knows who I am. He knows every single thing about me. So even if we come having failed or having sinned during the week, or not just necessarily during the week, but during that, our time, the promise of God is if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. Not just that, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness, making us presentable to his Father. So it's also comforting because I can be completely open with the Lord. So in addition to my adoration and worship, which Daryl spoke about last week, in addition to my adoration and worship, as we come into his presence, <clears throat> I can also pour out my innermost feelings, my innermost desires, the longings of my heart, my desires, my disappointments and sorrows and joys and requests. I can bring them all to God 
all to my Heavenly Father because I, because I know I'm secure in the knowledge that nothing surprises him. Nothing shocks him. He knows what's in my heart. He knows the temptations that I face. He knows the failings and everything. And he says, in effect, he says, that's why I came, to redeem you, to bring you back. So he's never shocked or surprised, but he makes a way back. And it's such a beautiful and precious thing. So I come secure in the knowledge of his never-ending love. If you cast your mind back a couple of weeks or so, Steph gave that testimony uh, with Lois. On the, I saw, watched it on the screen, didn't we, where God had really met with her, and she spoke about the immeasurable love of God. And that was, that was her, own under, that's her own experience, personal experience of God coming in his love and just touching her. And she, she likened it to the immeasurable, what she, she described as the immeasurable love of God. And I think sometimes we need to get a greater grasp of the immeasurable love of God. I'd noticed sometime recently some, some body posed the question, is the gospel about unconditional love or is it about righteousness? Well, it's about both. It's about the immeasurable love of God and it's about the righteousness of Christ in which we stand. So we, come, we can come with confidence to him. There's an old hymn writer who wrote these words, and if I can quote them better than I did in the first service, it goes like this. Could I with ink the ocean fill, and all the skies of parchment made, were every blade of grass a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. That man had an appreciation of the love of God, that I want to have too. And we can each one have the greatness of his love. It's an amazing truth, amazing story, amazing hymn that was. And David continues in Psalm 103, verse 10, he says, he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as far high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins from us. Why has he done all this? Because he wants to bring us to God. He wants to bring us to the Father. That verse came to mind this morning, referring to Jesus, that he died the just for the unjust. Why? To bring us to God. He wants to bring us to God. God longs for us to come into that closeness of relationship with him. So when we pray, what does Jesus say? We've already spoken, haven't we, in previous weeks about the simplicity of the Lord's Prayer. The simplicity of the Lord's Prayer. What does Jesus say? In Matthew 6, verse 6, he says, Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Pray to your Father. Go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. And in one sense, I know I realize that Jesus is actually comparing that with the previous verses, which speak of those hypocrites who stand on the street corners and shout out their prayers so that everybody can see how holy they are. Jesus says, don't be like that. Don't be like that, because they've got their reward. They've, they've got everything that's coming to them in terms of well, how people perceive them. But he says, when you pray, you go into your room, close the door, and your Father, who is unseen, 
will render it to you, will reward you. I find that tremendously comforting because when I come into the presence of God, which I do on my own, we come corporately and that's good too, but foundation of prayer, where prayer has to begin is just me and the Father. And as I come into his presence, I can pour out my heart to him, knowing that he knows everything about me anyway, and he just loves me to come. He loves my presence. What, a, what, a, what, a, what an amazing thing, that a God so big can actually require the presence of his creature. So when you pray, come into, show, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. We come by faith, don't we? We can't see God, but we, we can experience the joy and the peace of his presence. So it's just me and him. Just me and him, and I can come with honesty, without pretense, but I can also come with freedom and confidence because of what Jesus has done. I can be 100% open with him, a way that I can't be with anybody else. I can share with God, my heavenly Father, my whole heart that I can't share with anybody else. Even when we pray, you know, somebody said to me, the trouble is when we pray corporately, he says, I, I, spend, I spend sort of quite a long time thinking what I'm going to say and what it's going to sound like. But when I come into the presence of God, I just pour out, I just tell him how it is, the reality of how I'm feeling, what I'm doing, what I want, what I desire from him. There's no inhibitions It's a beautiful thing. Then the scripture goes on. It says, then your father, Jesus goes on, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He will reward you. And you know, as we come, if we come in that attitude of just love for the father and understanding of his heart for us, actually the joy of his presence is, it's very, is his own reward. In a sense, Jesus is not necessarily referring to that here. But from my own experience, the reward of just, living, just resting in the presence of God is a beautiful reward of and in itself. But I love the way Jesus goes on. He's so practical and down to earth. And in the last two verses, he says, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. You know, that ultimate knowledge of God for each one of us. He knows what we need. The, 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 the scripture we read in, the, in Psalm 139 says he knows even the words on our mouth, in our mouth before we even express them. He's that knowing of each of us. So he knows what our needs are. He says, don't keep babbling, don't multiply words thinking that if the, more, the longer we pray or the more eloquent we are, then God will be tempted to answer our prayers. No, he says he knows what you need even before you ask it. So just keep, keep it simple. Just ask in simple faith. Maybe spend more time just resting in his love than actually pouring out our requests to him. We certainly don't need to use any special voice or use any special religious words or set prayers. Not that they're all bad at all. Not at all. I've been to a place where they used liturgy and it was actually a real blessing to actually pray together beautiful words which were written down for us. But in actual fact, it's not necessary. It can be a blessing, but we can just come and just 
pour out our hearts to God in simple, straightforward language. He understands. He understands. As has been said already, he doesn't listen, only listen to our words, but he listens to our hearts and what's in our hearts. But maybe sometimes or perhaps often we feel unworthy or ashamed to come into his presence. We've fallen short in so many ways. But we have to remember that we have a great high priest in the person of Jesus. We have a great high priest. Hebrews 4.14 tells us he, he is able to sympathize with our weakness. He knows what temptation is like. He was tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet without sin. It's quite an amazing thought to think that Jesus was actually tempted. He faced every temptation that I faced. If he, if he didn't, he wouldn't be a proper, full, fully a human being, would he? But he faced as a man every temptation that I face, and yet without sin. He never submitted, he never succumbed to that temptation. But because he was tempted, he can sympathize with how I feel, and he knows my weakness. He knows my weakness, and he's always there interceding for me before the Father, providing the way, still the open way, to come into the Father's presence because, of course, God sees me as clothed in the righteousness of Christ and not um, qualified by my own performance during the week or whenever. He sees me in the righteousness of Christ and he just desires for me to come into his presence. He was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Then he goes on, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So as we come into the Father's presence, it's a place of mercy. You know, mercy for our sin, mercy for our weakness. It's a place of mercy. And we come with confidence, knowing the love and the heart of the Father for each one of us. And find grace to help us in our time of need. Not confidence in ourselves, but confidence and faith in what Jesus has achieved for us. There's a wonderful verse in Hebrews 10, verse 4, it says, of Jesus. It says, by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Being made holy, it implies that holiness is something that gradually increases as we come to know and walk with God more closely. But the fact is that the perfection that God sees me clothed in is already an established fact. By what Jesus has done, I am perfect in the sight of God. He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. What an incredible truth. What, a, what an amazing, gracious God we have that he sees me in that way, not in my weakness and my sin, but in, my, in the perfection of Christ as I come into his presence. <clears throat> then I want just to move on to Philippians 4, verses 5 to 7, because here Paul, writing to the Philippians church, sets out the pure and the simple, pure simplicity of prayer in such a beautiful way. And you know this scripture quite well, I'm sure. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. That's the first truth, that when we come to him, he's near. I was listening to somebody and they said, God is actually closer to us than our next heartbeat. Well, I don't know about you. I've got a reasonably slow heartbeat, but the next one comes pretty quick on the previous one. But God is closer even than that. The Lord is near. 
He is right there by his Holy Spirit. Jesus said, didn't he, in John 14, that the Holy Spirit would be with us forever and we would know him because he would live with us and be in us. So when I come to my quiet time in the morning or whenever it is, I don't need to somehow work up a spiritual feeling in order to sense the presence of God. I just turn to him because he's there. He's there waiting for me. He's present with me. He lives in me by his spirit. So the Father's presence can be a living reality every moment of the day, not just on a Sunday morning or <clears throat> when I come to him in the mornings. I've found a great blessing in just resting in his presence, spending more time doing that than pouring out my requests because it, I find in doing that that I just meditate on his attributes, meditate on who he is, on the love of his heart. And then that is my reward. It blesses me no end, just resting in his presence, telling him I love him, meditating on his glory. Then Paul goes on, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So he says, don't be anxious about anything. That's quite a, a command, isn't it? It is a command. Don't be anxious about anything. The things that I maybe am anxious about are perhaps not the things that you're anxious about. As I said earlier, I, I'm not a person who actually prays for a parking space, but I know that folk do do that. Maybe they feel more anxious than I do about finding somewhere, but, and God provides for them. But I maybe am anxious about things that they're not anxious about. But Paul says, in, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, Bring your, make your requests uh, known to God in everything. So whatever the situation, whatever the desire of my heart, whatever the need, whatever the, the uh, healing that I need, I bring it to God. I bring it to him. Who else can we take it to? Who else but to God? <clears throat> so we can bring anything to our Father, however small, however large, whatever makes us anxious. I remember a prayer I ask God amongst many but this one sticks out in my mind when I was out on a tractor once and, and the tractor conked out and, there was, and I had to sort of dismantle part of it and I can't remember exactly what it was but it was a little tiny part like that and being a bit clumsy I dropped it and, and the grass was sort of this high and I thought I just didn't know what to think I thought that's my day ended you know I can't I can, I'm never going to find that and I just remember committing it to the Lord and I looked down and just went like that and there it was and and you sort of think, you may think, well, that was a, had a good coincidence. But I don't believe it was because God actually can enter into every little situation. It was um, Archbishop, Archbishop, oh, I've got his name here somewhere. I can't, oh, William Temple, that's right. He famously said, when I pray, coincidences happen. He says, if I stop praying, coincidences stop happening. And that's a, a, a it's an interesting thing that, that, we can see them as coincidences, but we, I see them as just the precious and the gracious and the merciful hand of God entering into every, every little situation of every day. <clears throat> Peter says in his epistle, cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Another version says he cares about you. Whichever version you take, God cares. God cares. And then Paul goes on, he says, but in everything God will give you all you ask for. No, he doesn't say that, does he? He doesn't say that. 
He says, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You see, God does answer our prayers. Someone once said, and it's, an, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good illustration, he said, sometimes we have a, 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 almost like a traffic light system whereby God says yes, and he will answer our prayer with a green light. Sometimes it's no with a red light. Sometimes it's wait with an orange light. It's a, it's a very practical way of thinking about it, but it's true. God knows what is best for me. And I just give everything into his hand. Somebody once said, those who give everything into the hands of God eventually will see God's hand in everything. God's purpose for us is to bring us into that place of just resting in him, making our requests known, and knowing that one way or the other he will answer our heart's desires. but remembering that his way is perfect for each one of us. And what we may desire, maybe he says, well, that's not right good for you right now. It's not the best way. I always remember a, a, a text we had up on the wall when I was a boy, and it said, with patient faith, your path of duty run. God never does or suffers to be done, but what you would yourself if you could see the end of all events as well as he. And God can see the end from the beginning and he has that perfect, perfect purpose and plan for us. And everything works together to, for good to those that love God. So we rest in that. We rest in the knowledge that his way is perfect. Paul has experienced, Paul experienced unanswered prayer, didn't he? He had that thorn in his flesh, which we don't know what it was, but he doesn't sort of detail what it was. But three times he says, I asked God to take it away and... He didn't, but God said to this, he said, my grace is sufficient for you, but for my, my strength is made perfect in weakness. And sometimes God may will, be, will bring weakness upon us and, and, and illness. You know, we don't often think this, but there's a scripture which says guy of God, he says, I bring prosperity and I bring calamity. But he always has a purpose by, behind whatever he brings. And we don't know, but in Paul's situation, God's, the weakness of his body was obviously something that God could use in a way that he couldn't if Paul was a big, healthy, strapping man. So we don't know, but we rest in the fact that as we leave everything in the hand of God, we see God's hand in everything. We rest in the knowledge of his love and his grace and his mercy. So he says, the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Our hearts because we believe that God's will for us is perfect and we can fully trust him. And our minds, because that's where our anxieties live, don't they? In our minds. But he says, the peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And I don't want to be glib when I say that because there are prayers that we prayed which we desperately need an answer for. And God seems to, to either not listen or not hear. So I don't want to be glib in, in, in anything that I say. Because sometimes there is no answer to what God is doing. But we have to rest in the assurance that his way is perfect. And his ways, are far, the Bible says, are past finding out. <clears throat> So as I finish, 
you wonder why you may wonder why we pray in the name of Jesus. Why do we pray in the name of Jesus? In Ephesians three verse twelve, Paul says, "In Him, that is Jesus, and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence." We understand that actually everything, every access we have into the presence of God is because of what Christ has done. It's through the work of Jesus on the cross that has washed our sins away and gave us, given us access into the presence of God. So as, as we come into his presence, he sees us clothed with the righteousness of Christ and we can approach God with freedom and confidence. Paul also says in Ephesians 5.20, he says, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's almost like Jesus is, somebody quite likened it, and I can't think of a better way, although I don't think it's a perfect way. It's almost like Jesus' signature on a check. It's the bank of God, the blessings of God, and everything is, is available because of the signature which G, of Jesus on that check. He is the executive. He's the one who carries out the word of God, the promise of God. Every promise of God is yes and amen in him. So apart from coming to the Father through Jesus, is there a special way to pray or a formula to follow? Not at all. Not at all. If we think about the, who God is, he's our creator. He knows how we're made. He knows how we speak. He understands our language. And he just wants us to come simply into his presence and make our requests known to him, to tell him that we love him. There's no formula. There's no, Pete Gregg says in his book, he says, in, the, in its simplest form, prayer is simply asking God for help. And that's the beauty of it. Sometimes, sometimes you know, there's an awful lot that is said about prayer, and yet I have to believe in my own heart that prayer is ultimately very simple. It's just coming to God, knowing who he is, and asking him for help. <clears throat> we pray in faith in the goodness of God, faith in his ability to do far more that we can ask or imagine and resting in the love and the knowledge that his purpose for us is always for our blessing. As I was preparing this, well, I prepared it really, but yesterday I was just sitting on the settee and listening, thumbing through my phone and, and, and relaying some hymns through the speaker we've got on the side. And as I was just thumbing through, I came across this thing by Catherine Kuhlman. Um, now Catherine Kuhlman, if you didn't know, was a, was a sort of a great prayer warrior. I'm not, I'm not sure it's before my time, but she's, she's certainly not with us today. But she was a great prayer warrior, and it's, the title was How to Pray by Catherine Kuhlman. And I thought, wow, that's, that's incredible. I'm just going to preach on that tomorrow. What if she said anything that I should be saying uh, in my preach? And you know, as I just listened to it, it was only about 13 minutes long, I think, and as I listened to, through it, all she said, or the, 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 the central theme of what she said was actually our relationship with the Father. Knowing the love of God, knowing the heart of God, knowing the grace of God towards us, so that as we come, we don't come in fear, but we come in freedom. We come in confidence because he's our Father. And the relationship with him, for each one of us, can be as close as we want it to be. It was a, a great encouragement that uh, she didn't say anything profound that I'd missed. Because the, in one sense, prayer is profound.
but it's actually very simple too. So I just leave those thoughts with you. I haven't said anything particularly practical, um, but I think the foundation is the most important thing. But on your chairs, you'll see a sheet with um, how to have a prayer list and, and all the practical details, which are helpful as we go through our days. But um, as long as we get the foundation right, I believe that's the most important thing. God hears, God knows, God loves us, and God is there to answer us in one way or another. But one thing we know, he loves us with an immeasurable love. Let's just pray. Father, we just want to thank you for the knowledge of your love. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you died, for you the just one, for me the unjust, and your purpose was to bring me into relationship with the Father. Lord, I just thank you for that truth and the blessing that it is that as we come to know who God is and know his heart for us, we can just rest in the knowledge and the truth of that wonderful, beautiful thing. So, Lord, just bless us. Lord, just show us how simple prayer is. Let us, each one, have a greater experience, a greater closeness of relationship with you. Lord, for we love you and we just thank you. Thank you for this time together. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.